So welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Um, if this is your guys' first time tuning in, we're, we try to become kind of the go-to resource for commercial real estate. And each every other week, we usually host speakers to talk about a variety of different topics. Uh, today, we actually have the honor of interviewing Michael Arnold. We, I actually had him interviewed on, on my other podcast, the Commercial Real Estate Academy, and he provided so much value there. And his focus area is tenant rep. Uh, and I thought, what better opportunity for us to just kind of focus in a little bit more on the tenant rep side, which I know Michael's been very active in for many years. So, Michael, thanks again for stopping by. We're really honored to have you. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was fun the last time we did it. I'm hoping it's going to be as much fun this time. Absolutely. Well, in, in this case, too, we'll have open dialogue because we have a lot of people on the call and then obviously going live on LinkedIn. I'll be checking on LinkedIn as well at the end so we can you know, have people ask questions if they have them. So. Uh, to start off, you know, I know a little bit about you just through the, you know, the fact that we've done this similar stuff before, but if you can kind of give a backdrop on yourself, I think that'd be great. Yeah, no, sure. So I started my career 100 years ago. Um, no, I started at CBRE. I've been doing this now. This is my 26th year. I was there for nine years. I was at Newmark for 12. Um, I was CB's office rookie of the year, my first year in the business. I'm just sharing information, not to gloat by any means, but I'm just saying if you work hard, good things can happen. I ended up doing 52 deals in my first year, and I didn't know anything about real estate. I just knew people, and I knew how to bring in the people. Um, so as a tenant rep, obviously having a good team around you, knowing who to go to to help win business because 100% is of nothing um, doesn't really do you well, but 50% of something does. I then followed up where I... Uh, was recruited to join Newmark and then for about nine years ran that LA office. And then now I've been at NAI Capital. This is my sixth year where I'm also the vice chairman of global corporate services, the office division. So it was an opportunity to kind of build a, a even a larger platform. Um, and yeah, so I, I've probably done exclusive tenant rep 17 of my 25 years. And I realized if I can make twice the fee and not half the work, but, you know, from a tenant reps perspective here, you get twice the fee. So I'm like, so I'm not going to drive 30 minutes to go space for a thousand square feet. And then it doesn't, the broker doesn't show up or something happens. So I figured, you know what, if I work on an exclusive basis, my time is all we have as a tenant rep and work exclusively on exclusive assignments. And I've been doing it ever since and lead a team of about 12 people in Southern California. And we have, I think, 39 or 40 globally on our, our, our global corporate services team. That's amazing. Yeah. And you recently won an award I saw on LinkedIn. So congrats on that. Um, yeah, thanks. I, believe... I got nominated for a brokerage executive of the year from the LABJ mm -hmm. second consecutive year. Last year I won the silver. This year we're not sure. And then I also got voted for the office deal of the year for a law firm I represented that had north of a $40 million lease consideration. Yeah, I remember we talked about that on the podcast, so we may even dive into that a little bit today as well. But uh, so for those of you, just to give you some backdrop on the people who are listening to this podcast, uh, we have a wide variety of individuals from, you know, all different parts of the industry, whether that, that's brokerage law, you know, you name it. There's And there's also a lot of people who are newer to the business that are listening to the podcast as well. So if you could provide a little bit of overview of why, what, what is tenant rep and then why did you decide to focus strictly on tenant rep? Yeah, so tenant rep, in my opinion, is an exclusive fiduciary responsibility to the buyer or the, the tenant. And regardless of the size, everyone deserves representation. And I always use the analogy, like, God forbid you go to court, would you have the plaintiff and the defendant represent you? And while a lot of my constituents or associates will say, yes, you can, the truth of the matter is you can't. Because at the end of the day, the landlord's representative 
can't keep that extra nickel in their pocket. That has to go to my client. And so over the years, what I've recognized is by creating the appropriate leverage and putting the right systems in place, I was able to negotiate on, by, on behalf of my client to the best of my ability and, and not leave that nickel on the table and demonstrate to the client where it doesn't even cost them any money. And they're like, well, I don't understand. You represent me. I don't pay you anything and you find me the best possible opportunity out there once you understand my my goals and my and, and my focus or what I'm doing for my business, or my firm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much that simple and I'm not conflicted because some of the agency work that the company that I do work for um, is mostly retail. They have some office, but not for the, the office focus and specialty that I have. Would there ever be a conflict for me taking to anybody there? Absolutely. At this and, point, at least. No, for sure. And and what and what what uh, Michael's referring to is the the idea of dual agency. So the ability to represent both the the tenant and the landlord. Uh, some states don't allow it. I know here in Kentucky it's allowed. Uh, I think we had talked about it. I don't know if it's allowed in. I'm assuming it's allowed in California. Yeah, you, have, you have to disclose it. In Correct. Your documents yeah. So mm -hmm. it's understood and agreed to. And there's actually an agency disclosure agreement that's required Correct. to be sent out as well. Yeah, we, we have something similar in Kentucky as well. And obviously, different states have different laws and regulations, right. but I'm of the same mindset. I know we had talked about it on, on the other podcast that every time I've been in a dual agency situation, which has not been very many times, only I think twice, it's been kind of iffy because it's like it's really hard to really know who your agency, where, where your loyalty lies. You have to be very, you have to scoot, skirt the lines very carefully. And so, you know, I think it's great that you focused on one side of the, of the, of the business. And then building reason. a model, there's really only, two other companies that are, are like large wise um pardon me that do exactly what we do right there's mm -hmm. savils and cressa for argument's sake and i'm sure there's lots of other local or regional tenant rep shops um that do very well but um besides those two i mean it's really a focus of how you operate your business where it's really hard to go source business win business and then execute on the business. So I have a really great team around me that does a little bit of each and we figure out what our skill sets are and to determine how you know we're best utilizing our time. So for me, if I can work and help win business, you know, for 10 deals and I'm getting 30% for just winning the business, my associates get the lion's share, they can run the deal. I use my resume, win the business, and now I'm making three X versus trying to do one deal myself the whole way through. Absolutely. That's great. That's a great model to follow. So one of the things I'm kind of curious about, and, and this is something that, you know, I know a lot of people in the, in the brokerage space in particular, this is the, this is what we have to do on a day to day is the business development side. And you had mentioned how you were the, the rookie of the year, uh, your first year, uh, kind of putting the pieces together when it comes to those types of deals. How do you best generate those tenant opportunities in the marketplace? So the first thing, and I see uh, Brandon, last, I think is how you pronounce your last name, if not, forgive me, actually reached, and, and again, this correlates to your question, but actually reached out to me via Twitter and said, hey, I'm younger in the business. What kind of ideas can you share with me? So I sent him a whole deck on a presentation I did at our global convention about how to develop business. And the reason, especially somebody newer in the business, as you could probably attest to not being newer, but understand where we both came from, um, is call blocking and making sure how you're allocating your time um, on demonstrating what and how you're going to do your business. Meaning if you get, I don't, I'm not a believer that you need to be in the office at 6 a.m. and leave it at 9 p.m. Because I think if you're efficient with how you're doing your time, meaning if I do the focus 
50 prospects I want to go after on a Tuesday night. That's my focus on Wednesday morning. That means from 7.30 or 8 to 10, that's all I'm doing, right? That means if I have LOIs or other calls, I don't do it during those times. You can't. I'm not saying it's perfect because nobody's perfect, but you try and have a goal, especially for younger brokers, because you don't know what your day's like. And I have some people on my team and I get to work as a mentor and we have some other senior people. So it helps those individuals to ask questions. Well, what does this mean? You hear something in the discussion. So the reality is how do you go after that new business, right? That's what the initial question was. So once you have your time set up of how you're going to deal with the business, the best way to do it, in my opinion, is to join different social groups. Um, There's, you know, different municipalities have different groups of business development. There's contractors, um, there's, uh, architects. There's all sorts of different type of vendors. I'm going to a mixer tonight for a construction company I've done business with. And whether or not there's opportunities, I'm going to hear about deals in the market. I'm going to hear about companies. Um, reading the, you know, the periodicals of companies getting acquired or companies who are selling their businesses. What's that mean? I have to dispose of real estate or I have to deal with real estate that I just acquired, which may be a disposal acquisition or expansion. So asking the right questions and just basically, the way I learned the business, old, old, old school CBRE was, go to the building next door to where you office, learn all the tenants in the project, learn who the landlord is, learn who the biggest tenant is and understand what that assets liabilities are, meaning, is it a problem with parking? What's the backup generator if there is any? What's the power constraints? Um, what kind of amenities are in the building? So that you're, you're building value of understanding something that you can share with the prospect, right? And then blocking and tackling building by building in a submarket. And, you know, we cover in my West LA market is about 56 million square feet. So you obviously can't cover everything. But just having a direct approach and attack of how you're going to go after business and being... And, and going through with what you're saying you're going to do like oh shoot I have to go get it have a dental appointment well you know what change your dental appointment after business hours and before they close or at the end of the day after you go walk in on a prospect um, and it's hard to walk in on companies today right because mm -hmm. security and buildings in different in different uh, cities but communication create relationships with other brokers share information um, you know, information is key. Not all brokers do that, but you want to work with a landlord broker who trusts you because their name's on the line, right? If you can deliver or not deliver a building or a tenant. And when I bring a tenant, I would say 90 plus percent of the time, I'm going to be able to execute and they know that. So creating a relationship with that broker that they can trust you because they don't want to have egg on their face as well. Absolutely. No, but those are some really good points. So related to really getting and becoming an expert on your market and being able to share those insights with potential clients. I mean, information's invaluable. And that kind of leads us to the next question, which I'm, I'm interested in hear your take on it, because we on the on the previous podcast, we had touched on, you know, your strategy when it comes to, you know, focusing on particular prospects, you know, within this right. certain range, because you feel like you can add significant value in that front and leverage whatever information you have on these different buildings to, you know, put them in the best position possible. So I guess what type of tools are you leveraging to do the research on these tenants? And then from there, I guess, what data points are you utilizing to then say, go to the landlord reps and say, or landlord bigger, at bigger firms, you know, when you have research departments, mm -hmm. you know, it's, mm -hmm. you can gain access information. The one thing I would say that people, everybody does is co-star, 
if yeah. that's and not to plug them versus a Crexy or somebody else. But like from an office perspective, most of us utilize that as our central depository of repository of information. But that's what everybody's using. So if you're calling on tenants, I mean, you'd be crazy to think that when I give CoStar information, if CoStar you're listening, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. There's my uh, my caveat. Um, I don't give them all my right information. Do I want XYZ tenant to call on my client because they know my their lease is expiring? I'm gonna let CoStar know it was a longer term lease or a shorter term lease, and whatever that may be. Why would I? Why am I paying somebody to give me information to have my competitors steal my business? Mm-hmm. You're 100 percent right. I, it's 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 data collection, right? You get the calls from CoStar all the time. They're like, hey, you know, I noticed you closed on this, or I noticed you executed this lease, and they're trying to probe you for different information. It's like, well, you right. know, like you said, that information can be is is your is your your secret weapon, right? Because you have that data that you can then utilize to you know share that information with other clients, or you know, correct. So I think. I think you're right in that in that regard, but you're you're right having having a repository of data, whether that's in CoStar or even a CRM that you collect data in, is going to be very beneficial. And look, here here's a real simple exercise, and I've told people on my team this as well. Um, the truth of the matter is, how often do we get blasts out? And I'm guilty of this as well. One of my associates was like, "Hey, you just did this deal. Did you let all the tenants know in the building yet?" And I was like, "Damn, practice what you preach." <laughs> right to go after all the tenants. And I was like, no, I haven't done that yet. Cause literally just closed a deal. And he was like, all right, let's get after it. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Um, but I think for example, like if somebody sends you a sublease, most brokers, not all are inherently lazy, shocking, right? They just want the big checks and don't want to do the work. Um, unfortunately, that's just not my DNA and I'm more of a pit bull and I just go after things and try and run like the bull you know, running through and then you kind of figure out what happens after the fact. There's positives with that and there's negatives with that. Um, but I think overall, like if there was a sublease that came on the market, what's the first thing that I'm going to say to a prospect in the building? I'm calling Mr. Jones because there was a unique opportunity that was just presented to me and I just wanted to make you aware of it before anyone else was aware. So what have you done? You're creating value in the building with an opportunity that everyone knows about, but he, the prospect doesn't know, right? So you're sharing the information with the prospect and they feel special because you're reaching out to them in particular before you go to the market. And now you're creating value. So just one thing you can do when you go to a prospect to say, hey, you just got information. I don't have to figure out, I know who the tenant is because I'm smart enough to figure out who that sublessor is. But now I'm hammering that tenant. I'm hammering the tenant next door. Just want to let you know there's an opportunity. If a deal gets done, I'm aware of that. The more information from a tenant rep you're able to share, the biggest mistake that most tenant reps have, in my opinion, is they always are asking for things. When's your lease up? Um, have you hired any? Like, that's great, but you're we're in the relationship business. And if you're completely calling cold, you have to call from a different perspective that gives you a competitive advantage. Whereas they can now think of you different than just a, a broker calling them on a lease expiration. 100%. So you're, you're saying that, you know, sharing data when it comes to these, those initial calls, you know, the receptiveness is a lot different. Is that what you're referring to? 100% because it yeah. would be like me calling you and saying, hey, I have 
a great opportunity that I just wanted to share with you, Raphael. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure what your own goals and objectives are at your firm, and I'd love to learn more about those. But this distinct opportunity just presented itself. And again, I'd love to talk to you further. I mean, that's like preliminary, mm-hmm. back of the napkin, pick up the phone, ring, ring, ring. Okay, you're not interested. Great. What aren't you interested about? I'm interested because my my broker is my best friend's Bobby Sue, and she's been my broker for he's been my broker for 30 years. Okay, great. Well, when was the last time you talked to them? Uh, I think when my lease, so your lease is sitting in your desk. You haven't done an abstract, have you? What's an abstract? So then you start asking questions where you can provide information free of charge to start mm-hmm. building the relationship with the prospect. That's and for those of you who don't know what lease abstract is, it's basically the cliff notes back in the day when we were in college, right? You didn't want to read the whole books. You read the cliff notes or script coverage in the entertainment industry where you don't want to read the whole script, but you just want to understand the highlights of it. Um, so it allows you to provide information back what your findings were. And I can tell you one example I did was I was a company in Beverly Hills and I did the abstract. They were happy with their broker, no issues. And I said, you, how's your parking? They go, what do you mean? I go, it looks like it's pretty tight down there. Like, yeah, we don't have enough space. I go, do you realize in your lease, it stipulates you have the right to terminate if you're not allocated the appropriate amount of parking. Wait, what? My broker never told me that. And we're able to get hired and then move them out and move them to a different building. So there's different nuances where you have to demonstrate why you're creating value because everyone has relationships. Great advice. No, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people who gain value from those particular insights. So one thing I'm kind of curious about is, you know, let's say you've, you've, you've worked, you've got your, your tenant, you've been working with them, you've been looking at different sites, and then ultimately they decide, okay, this is the, this is the, the decision we want to make and we want to move forward with this particular project. What type of, you know, advice would you give to those individuals who are looking to negotiate with existing landlords? The first thing I do is I want to have a good relationship with the landlord. Mm-hmm. And there's certain brokers who think otherwise, like they're, you know, what's that we're all sitting on right now. And they don't care. And it is what it is. My, my approach is different. I think if you can demonstrate and understand what the landlord's goals and objectives are, how the asset is underwritten, what are they capable of doing? And then depending on the size of your prospect, meaning if you're 10 or 15% of an asset and you have a lease that's expiring, but the debt service on the asset's going to be maturing outside of that, and your lease is going to have a significant impact to that landlord being able to refinance their asset, there's a whole different discussion we're having now, right? Mm-hmm. Um but if you're just Joe Blow tenant or Mrs. Joe Blow tenant, or you basically you're going to basically go to a, a landlord, understand what the economics are. You should know what the market is from a tenant standpoint, what kind of deals are being done. If you don't, you should be developing those relationships with brokers to figure it out. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you're creating leverage for your client and your client doesn't want to move. So my, I had a client, for example, say, I don't want to move. Just get me the best deal possible. I said, I need to show you something. So consciously, you know that you would be willing to leave and that I think a lot of prospects, it's the headache of moving. I said, it's not going to cost you anything. They said, what do you mean? I said, I can get a soft cost allowance from a landlord to relocate you. So you don't have any relocation expenses. I can get your AV set up, IT all covered and a portion of the allowance I can get. Okay. I've I've gone over that hurdle. Now it's a headache of moving. Well, then I demonstrate the financial analysis or deal comparison analysis of the different uh, projects and the different opportunities and say, okay, if you're going to save $3 million on this asset, if you're going to save $2 million or this is a break even, my job is just to provide you the information. It's your job to decide what's in your firm's best or your company's best 
interest in their best interest. So my job is to get the information to you and assist you in figuring out what you're going to do with your business, right? And so once you have those financial implications in place, it's a lot easier to understand, to make less emotional decision and go, you know what, if I can save a million dollars by moving over the next five years, it's probably worth it and I probably should, right? So it's basically educating the client, managing the process and making sure they're creating value through financial analysis or anything else that you need to demonstrate. A lot of brokers don't even do that. They don't even know how to do deal analysis. I mean, you can use Argus, you can use CoStar, you can use a bunch of different variables. You can create an Excel, like I created a proprietary Excel that's very similar to what my competitors do. And I can just go in and and change it and tweak numbers and go, okay, here's what it is, operating expenses, parking. Do you want to know to include your operating expenses or your parking? Do you want to include, you know, your net effective to figure out how much it's going to cost you if to amortize TIA back in a deal and how that's going to have an effect on you? So there's so many different variables, but I like, it's like, if you like cooking, it's like becoming a chef. You have to take all your different ingredients. If you miss a few ingredients, the result is not going to be what you want. So you need to make sure you understand how to put all the ingredients together so you can best provide the best meal for your client at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, and, and like you said, a lot of brokers aren't doing that. I can almost guarantee you that no one, not all brokers are sitting down and going through all the financial analysis. And, and when it comes to these executives that you're probably dealing with that they make those decisions based on the data that's presented to them. So if you can present it in a way that's very clear and concise and, you know, supports whatever your objective is and, and ultimately will help them in the long run, I'm sure that's going to add significant, significant value. So that's awesome. I mean, it's really, it, it, I think our job and the funny thing is, and I don't even know if my mother's listening to this podcast or not, but if you are, hi, mom, because mm-hmm. of course she wanted to, to know what's everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, you know, our job is to create value. But my mom's like, oh, yeah, my son sells space mom 26 years i don't sell space mm-hmm. i represent clients and understanding their leasehold requirements to figure out how to save the company capital or improve on their efficiencies so their company can operate better so mom if you still need to figure it out i'm sorry we're gonna have to talk over dinner well this is recorded so you can always just play it back right <laughs> you can just play it back at a later date so that's awesome yeah. Well, and so one thing I'm curious about is obviously, you know, at the time of this recording, we're kind of in an interesting period right now where the interest rates have have slowly risen over the last six to 12 months. Um, You know, there there are some looming concerns regarding a recession. So as far as, you know, the current environment, how do you see um, the, the, the tenant rep landscape evolving and where do you see it, I guess, going forward? So there's a couple different thoughts and I'll try and stay focused. Cause as you know, I have a propensity to kind of jump around a little bit. Shocking. Well, no, I, I mean, we appreciate it. So no, um, feel free. I think with inter- first of all, first and foremost, if you represent a tenant of any capacity or size, it's 10% of an asset or larger, it's paramount that you know what's going on with the debt service and the ownership. So many landlords are now losing their buildings or owners are losing their buildings because they're letting, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to cover the debt that they own on the asset. And it's going to go back to the lender. So what's that mean for you as a tenant? Well, if you don't have the right coverage in there to make sure that they can't evict you, then you're kind of SOL. Now, knowing in a soft market that tenants don't, landlords don't want to do that, or owners are like, I just need to get whatever cash flow I can to keep it afloat. A um, that's one perspective, right? So the second one would be like, don't bring your tenant to a building that 
is in financial trouble. That's value creation. Like, well, I love the way this building looks. Yeah, but the owner's about to default on his loan and it's going to go back to the lender. And then you're in trouble and they don't have the financials to provide the TI you need because you're a typical type of tenant that doesn't have the capital. You need the landlord to provide it for you. So we look to either put it into the lease term or amortize or whatever that may be. So at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, understanding the ownership is knowing what your type of tenant you have. Is it an entrepreneurial? Um, we talked a little bit last time where I'm looking at doing a deal today where a startup merchant bank essentially is looking to lease about 40,000 feet and they needed the capital to be able to do so. So we went to OTSO, there's your shameless plug, uh, Josh and Marissa, um, and said, hey, can you provide us the surety bond, which operates in the same capacity as a letter of credit without the collateralization, but it costs you a little bit more each year to hold that surety bond. And a lot of landlords aren't even familiar with it. So once we're able to educate the landlord on the way a surety bond works, like an evergreen provision, it renews annually. And in the event of a default, it's underwritten by the LifeCo company. So now they can actually draw on that bond the same way they would do a letter of credit. So and then it costs a tenant typically between, you know, five and 10% versus a point and a quarter. And the reason that's valuable is if you're a startup technology and you need to be utilizing your capital, you don't want to tie it all up. So educating landlords in different types of lease security mechanisms is really important as well. Um, but I, th I think I answered the question as far as what type of landlords, what do you do with your tenants? Where do you put them? Mm -hmm. Every deal you do should be like it's your own. I mean, in your gut, if you know you're doing the right thing, then you're doing the right thing. And in your gut, if you're just trying to slam a deal home, shame on you, because there's a lot of brokers who do that. I'm sure. But it, and I'm, I'm just, I don't know how it is in, in L.A. I mean, I, here in, in Louisville, for example, like it's a small bro, it's a small community. So if you do bad, if you do the, the wrong things enough times, that reputation spreads and that's not obviously good for business long-term. So one of the other things I want, I'll share with you um, mm -hmm. that somebody actually just brought up um, actually, no, let's go to the next question. I'll share it. No, I don't want to no sure. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get, we'll give an opportunity at the end. We have two more questions and then we're going to open up the Q and a. So uh, for those of you guys yeah. who are listening, we're going to be able to, you know, have, have added as far as questions are concerned. So the last, last question before we open it up is, you know, what are some of the best resources for those in individuals who are interested in learning more about, you know, how to operate in the tenant rep space? Wow. Save, I'd say it's a grapefruit, but it's so not. Um, you, the biggest thing, in my opinion, for a tenant rep, because the guy I started working for, wonderful person, unbelievable broker, but one of the most least organized people I've ever been around. Um, and that's like my pet peeve as an organization. And I think the more, if you're starting as a tenant rep, which hopefully I'm answering your question, that mm -hmm. you need to be really organized, be focused on what you're doing, and then have a plan of attack. And 3% success ratio is really good in our industry for those of you who are not aware. That means for every 100 calls you make, if you can get three people to talk to you and have a meeting set up, that's really good. So for those of you who get discouraged, like it's really a numbers game new in our business, but you have to demonstrate what you're doing differently than your competitors. Cause if you're just calling a lease expiration, Hey, what are you guys doing? Like you're not creating any value going back to the kind of the earlier question. So great advice there. So great. So what we'll go ahead and do then is we're going to open it up to Q and a. So if you guys are watching this on zoom, go ahead and type away in the chat box. We'll go ahead and read it just so it's a little bit more organized. I'll go ahead and read the questions that you guys type away 
in Zoom. And then obviously those guys who are watching on LinkedIn, feel free to do the same and we will check out the questions. So one second, let me see. So as far as as far as a question maybe that I didn't ask you, what would you rec? I mean, I guess is there a question that you wish I would have asked you that um, that you didn't ask me that I didn't ask you? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I think is really important is there's a lot of really smart people on this call and in our industry, but if you have to be smart enough to know what you don't know, so to the extent you can work on a team, that in my opinion is the best way to approach it. People who are starting out in the business. We're trying to do everything. It's frankly really hard to do it. So if you don't have a mentor, you can run questions by, you know, like Nina had mentioned, like, hey, can we run through some practice cold calling? Like I have one of my guys in my office today and we get off the call here. That's what we're going to be doing is we're going to be cold calling, business developing and focused on that for the next two hours. And then beyond that, get after it and catch up on some additional work, go have lunch, hopefully meet with somebody. You want to have lunches or breakfasts three days a week with people, friends, prospects, family, because um, everybody has business that's going on. You just don't know where that may come from. That's great advice. All right. So Jesse, yeah, yeah. Jesse asks, if you were calling on tenants in a building with no relationships and, and do not know if there is an opportunity to help them, what is your value proposition to find out if there is an opportunity to help them on a tenant uh, tenant rep assignment? Well, I think the first thing I do is I'll go figure out who the C-suite is. And then once I, and you can do that by going to their homepage and the web and then reverse engineer that and then connect that to LinkedIn, find out who their LinkedIn page is, figure out who they know that, you know, reach out to friends that you may have or people you have acquaintances with that you may not even been aware of that had a connection that just happened yesterday with a 30,000 foot tenant out here that one of my associate, my partners in our Tri-Cities and Pasadena office, like, does anyone know anyone? Reached out to a friend of mine in Houston who was connected to this guy. We have a call today because it turns out he's the cousin of the CEO and was at his wedding. So leveraging your network to kind of get an understanding. Yeah, so that, I mean, if you're calling a tenant, create in a building, you have no relationship, use the sublease option. Hey, I just want to call and bring you bring to your attention an opportunity. I'm not sure what your goals and objectives are uh, for your business, but this unique opportunity just came on the market and I wanted to make sure you're aware of it before anyone else. That's a great point. So Ian, uh, I hope that answers your question, Jesse. Yep. Ian asks, what do you look for in a young broker? What qualities mindset would make you want that young broker on your team? It's... That's a great question. And I, I get that often. Um, and this is going to be a little bit of a sick answer. Um, when someone reaches out to me for an opportunity as somebody just did last week, I didn't respond back to them. Not to be rude, but I want to see how much they want it and how much they're going to follow up with me because that's what our business is, is follow up and persistence. And if you're not being persistent, I'm not really interested. The second thing, and some people don't like this, I've had arguments on Twitter. Well, we've had discussions, not arguments on Twitter, where I like ex-athletes or people who have military experience or somebody who has sales experience, somebody out of college who has family relationships. That's somebody else that there may be an opportunity because relationships are everything in our business. And the reason I say that is as an ex-athlete myself, I hate losing more than I like winning, right? It's a mentality that I expect to win 
that I've done my due diligence and I've practiced and I've put everything in place to win and I still may not win, right? Someone makes an extra shot with a second on the clock and I've played my butt off the whole game. There's not much I can do. I can go back and look at the tape and figure out what I need to get better with, which is how do we develop business? Practice cold calling in the mirror. Go to the mirror, stand up when you're cold calling, get energy going. You have to be able to effectuate some or type of response from the prospect. And they could just be having a bad day too. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people, I'm not interested. I'm sorry, I didn't know you weren't interested about what? Saving money, reducing, improving your efficiencies of your current location or trying to put more capital back into your business. Um, yeah, I'm busy. Great, I understand that we're all busy. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna be meeting with the prospect at on Tuesday at two o'clock, how about I stop by and we can talk about this further. I'm sorry, I'm busy. Okay, what are you doing for lunch? We all have to eat, I'll bring you a sandwich. How about that? I mean, you can take no and you gotta get the pushback. No, no, it doesn't work. Okay, how does it work? May, may I call you back in two weeks and follow up from our conversation? You put it in your CRM. So if you're a new broker, you better have a CRM to be able to manage the process because doing it in Excel doesn't work and creating dates or whatever and outlook doesn't work as reminders. I don't care how inexperienced or experienced you are. In a CRM, you have the leases that are in there, you have critical dates, you have notes, you send emails from your CRM. So then it goes in the history of your CRM so you can follow up accordingly. You set the reminder, move on to the next product uh, prospect. Absolutely. And the CRM has all that data. So if you do have a conversation with a prospect in the future, you can reference the previous conversation. Right. And, and then Nina know. asked a question. So I'm also yeah. the chairman of corporate fundraising for CREI Summit. So go out, check that out. We're having that in Orlando this year. I believe it's going to be in September. So I'm in charge of fundraising through like the co-stars and the whatever other, the Ochos and other companies. Uh, that are going to be financing it, but it's a great way to use social media. And there's people from all different industries. So if you're interested to come, the early bird special is going to expire, I think this week. And it's like nothing you've ever seen. It's ways to unlock LinkedIn, to use TikTok, to figure out Instagram from a professional standpoint and work with other professionals that you're in a networking environment. It's like two days. And this is our third year of doing it. It's an invaluable tool that we have. That's awesome. So um, another question Nina had was, can you talk about the importance of being active on platforms like LinkedIn, Twitter, other other platforms? Yeah, well? so there used to be the Duke Long List. I don't know if anyone is old enough to remember that out here, uh, but Duke gave that to Ken Ashley now of CNW. So there's an, it's awards that they give you for your activity, which is kind of cool. And it's really important to make sure you're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. A lot of people are like, what's the ROI on social media? I don't think you can put one out there until you do your first deal. If nothing else, you're making new friends, you're developing new relationships. And I like, there's a couple of people uh, from California, for example, on this group. So in the social media stuff that we all talk about, but if there's a particular type of deal, people know that I'm probably the right person to work on it compared to another person who may be better qualified to work on something because it's not really what I do. So again, social media, if you're not using LinkedIn, like literally, literally every day posting, not posting to post, but the algorithms have changed too. So you have to actually tag people. You have to get in conversations now with people you haven't had conversations for in the past. So the algorithm knows that you're doing a bunch of different things, but, but don't post just to post. 
I've had some discussions with people who say, well, do you do a personal and do you a business? I personally just have one because people need to see the personal side of me besides just the business, because you want to work with people you like and you can relate to. Um, yeah, I see Ian's talk to the occupier folks. Occupier, actually, uh, I use them for two of my corporate clients um, that manage uh, 42 leases for one client. And I think they're close to 100 leases for another client. And I get copied on it. So if there's notice period dates, uh, occupier is a little bit more expensive than a traditional CRM. But um, again, another resource to somebody to check out. I use the cloud-based app. That's no plug by any means. Some people use different softwares that work for them, but just find something that you're user-friendly and you feel good using and you're comfortable with. That's not too expensive either. Awesome. So Brandon had a comment that I thought I'd read out. So experience with people is key. I did two years of door-to-door sales before getting recruited to this and looking back at it all, it was all about building the relationships with someone and not just viewing them as a number. I don't think there was any better intro to sales, no faster way to build up thick skin and how to deal with rejection than getting your, the door slammed in your face, cussed out, even getting weapons drawn at you in person. Wow. Cold calls or a cakewalk after that. I can only imagine, man. That's great. 100% right on point. The fact that you've done that, all kudos to you. Um, Brandon, I mean, again, if you've dealt with all those situations, look, the reality is, and here's something else to think about, you know, 90% more than your prospects know, period. Well, I've been in the business six months. I've had that discussion with a couple of my younger associates. Well, what if I make a mistake? Well, that's okay. We're human. You're not going to be perfect in everything you do, but make sure you're prepared and you're practicing and make sure you put yourself in a situation to be prepared to make sure you're putting your best foot forward. So yeah, it's rejections tough, but you got to have a tough response. Like I said, if you get a 3% success ratio in our industry, you're doing well, but you got to put yourself out there to get it. The other thing I would say is, and this is really important. I learned this a while ago. And this is hard for new people in the business. You have to be able to turn business down. You have to say to no to certain businesses that are not going to get you to where you want to end up. So in the beginning of the year, I suggest doing a business plan, figuring out how you're going to make money, how many deals you need to do, what types of deals, how big, what the percentage you're going to get, and then go back halfway through the year, check your business plan, see if you're in line, what if you're not, what should you be doing differently? You're not making enough calls um, and really hold yourself accountable because at the end of the day, the only person to blame if, for your lack of success is you. Great advice. That's awesome. All right. So um, I'll check LinkedIn. Uh, if you guys are on LinkedIn, feel free to type away. If, if any of you guys have any more questions in the Zoom call, feel free to type away. We'll have about one or two more minutes uh, to, to wait for any comments or questions. And if not, we'll yeah, go I mean, ahead and wrap up. Natalie said on the, uh, or Nina said about Natalie Wainwright too in, in Las Vegas, um, great broker and uses a lot of social media. Um, you know, everyone says to me, how come you don't charge for all your information or all the knowledge that you have? And I said, I always said when a young age, not that I'm really old, but I'm getting older, that if I was in a position to share information, to help others, to have success, that's really all I care about at this point. I'm not interested in making money off somebody else to share information like you're doing with your great podcasts and everything you're doing with your chats. It's, it's fantastic. But the only thing I ask for the audience is do something kind for somebody else. 
help somebody else without an expectation in return and good things will happen for you. Yeah. People, people gravitate towards those individuals who have, you know, a giving attitude. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen it in my life manifest itself and I'm sure in your life it's manifested itself tenfold. So that's great. The go-giver, that's a great book. So Nina had recommended the go-giver as a book. Um, I guess I should do more reading, Nina. (laughs) It's tough with four kids and job and I can imagine college. if, if no one else has any more questions, Michael, thank you again so much for stopping by. We greatly appreciate your time. Uh, you're, you really did provide a lot of awesome insights uh, on, the, for, on, on the call. So if guys, if, if someone wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about what you do, maybe they're, you know, aspiring brokers or any, or maybe they're existing brokers and they're just wanting to pick your brain, how, how's, how can they get in touch? So I'll put my uh, email and my cell phone in the box, but it's Arnold's at naicapital.com. So it's Emma's and Michael Arnold's last name at naicapital.com. My cell phone is 310-694-4550. Feel free to follow me on Instagram. LinkedIn, I think I'm Michael Arnold. LinkedIn, I think, um, I'm sorry, Instagram, I'm MPA Baller 1 or 6. I can't remember. Same thing on Twitter, MPA Baller 1 or 6. LinkedIn, I'm Michael Arnold. TikTok, I think I'm just Michael Arnold. I do a lot on TikTok um, and Facebook. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me wherever. Uh, like I did before, I'm happy to share information. And if I can help you be successful, God bless and have a fantastic week and go get it. Absolutely. And, and for those of you guys, I know Michael had mentioned earlier, the CREI Summit, if, if you want to learn more about that, I know you're involved with them as well. So, you know, feel yeah, free to reach CRI out. CREI Summit. Um, go to the CRA summit, look it up on Twitter, on LinkedIn, there's information pertaining to it. If you work at a company that's interested in, in sponsoring, you can buy tickets. We have scholarships we're giving away. We gave away six scholarships. So if you're interested in attending and you're newer in the business and would like to real feel free to reach out to me and I'll put you in touch with the appropriate person to see how you qualify for a scholarship as well. That's amazing. Well, thanks again so much, Michael. And again, all you guys who are tuning in, obviously we appreciate you guys stopping by. This happens on a bi-weekly basis or so every other week. So feel free to stop by, continue to engage. And thanks again so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time. All right, take care. Thanks everybody. See you guys. Bye.